Hello, welcome. How are you guys doing today? So good to have you here at Cape Christian. Also, welcome to all of our online church around the world. We're so glad you are with us. I think my favorite part of that video announcement video, for those of you who are online, you couldn't see it, when they mentioned that there was a seat card on the seat, almost everybody at the same time went like this. Like they almost forgot or didn't know they were sitting on it. And so I wanna just take a minute and highlight that, uh, what Scott was just saying. If you're new here or maybe you're not and, it just, and you need a reminder what July is and why we do what we do in July. We are a church. Our mission statement here at Cape Christian is we exist to introduce people to a relationship with Jesus and then help them to become the, uh, whoever God created them to be in the fullness of that and have that personal relationship. And so one of our church codes that's really important to know that we have is that we believe that, um, that we are not just here for ourselves but that we, but we are here for the world. And we say it this way, that we're not just spiritual consumers, but we are spiritual contributors. Uh, we believe that the, uh, the church doesn't just merely exist for us, but we actually are the church and we exist for the world. And so um, every year in July, we do a thing called At The Movies. And the idea is actually an old principle we got from the teachers and rabbis of Jesus's day. Because if you study them, they were master teachers of taking the culture of there and then or the day and teaching timeless biblical truths. Because the truth never changes, but how you present it can. And so they would use things like trees and rocks and gardens. And, and Jesus often would, to help people understand a relationship with him, to help them to understand the kingdom, would start a lot of his teachings like this. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he would tell a story where everybody in that audience was like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. That's basically what at the movies is for us. The kingdom of heaven is like a boxer named Rocky, for example, or the kingdom of heaven is like the karate kid, or the kingdom of heaven is like a kid who was deformed and had to go to school. And so what we're gonna do is take common, common language and movies from our time and era, and we're gonna teach timeless biblical truths, but we're gonna do it with a lot of fun. We're gonna have upgrades. We're gonna have popcorn and, and, and soda. Um, and, and here's why. You all work with, live with, know, and related to our next door neighbors with people whose their lives would be way better off if they met Jesus for who he really is. And so we wanna give you an opportunity to something to bring people and go, hey, I know this isn't gonna be like anything you've seen in church. I promise it's not gonna be weird. Um, we're not gonna water down the gospel, but this is, a, this is our evangelism series of the year in July called At The Movies. We have some great movies. Some of them are pretty intense. Uh, they're gonna teach, we're gonna just see God for who he is. And so we would love all of you to take some extra cards even, invite people, uh, and because if you're watching online, because we can't, because of copyright laws, we can't keep it in our archive, we are gonna run it on Monday and Wednesday night of each week as well if you miss it in person. Um, but you don't wanna miss it. And this is your opportunity to bring somebody with you. We want everybody to bring somebody, invite somebody. So I want you to be thinking and praying, God, who would you have me to bring to church at our At The Movie series? And if you're already thinking like, man, we're kind of running out of space, how are we gonna do that? Well, we'll address that next week because we have a plan for that. Um, but come to At The Movies and yes, you are sitting on that card. Um, separately, in conjunction with that, we're, we're gonna be uh, doing some new things we'll be announcing in the next couple of weeks. If you are here in one of these two sections tonight, if you give me three minutes at the end of service, I'd love to talk to you guys privately up here and have a conversation. So if you can stick around, I wanna chat with you guys. Uh, the rest of us carry on. Now, this is week five of a series called... Does it say behind me? It does, doesn't it? Okay, you knew. That's what he said. And we've been looking at different things Jesus has said and done and, and looking at what does that mean for us? Some of the more challenging things, some of them uh, uh, have been, you know, uh, things that maybe don't get preached or talked about as much. And so this is week five. We are gonna land the plane with something that's just so maybe simple, 
But I don't know if, if you found this in your life, but sometimes the most simple, the, 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 the most important things are the most simple, profound things that you never really can graduate from if you're gonna keep your life on, on track. And so I wanna talk about that. But before we do, um, I don't know how many of you grew up going to church. If you didn't, it's okay. You're in great company. Many of us didn't. But if you did, we used to sing a long time ago these old songs now, we call them old songs, that were started with an H called hymns. Some people are glad that we don't sing hymns anymore. Some of us miss the hymns. Uh, in fact, we got a taste of a little old hymn there at the end of worship. And if you like that, stay to the end. We might even do something else. Who knows? Um, but I'm, I'm a guy, I like new music. I, I still go back to the hymns, but I'll tell you this. As somebody who's studied church history and somebody who is endeavoring to have a relationship with God, if you ever start to study where those hymns come from, most of the hymns that we sang in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, they are so rich. They're, 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 they're from a place of depth. Often they're birthed out of crazy stories of tragedy and faith. And, and they're really like modern day kind of hero of faith, unbelievable, compelling stories. And, and every time I learn about them, I, 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 I'm just so in awe of the faith of some of the, the heroes that walked with Jesus before we ever walked to earth. And and one of the, the hymns that, that I remember singing growing up, you'll never guess, is this hymn called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Raise your hand if you know that one. You can raise your hand online too. Cool, if you don't, it, 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 we'll, we might sing it again in a little bit, we'll, we'll see. But it's really simple, it's I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. I have decided to follow Jesus. The cross before me, the world behind me, I still will follow Jesus. I have such a more of an appreciation for that song when I learn where it came from. Because see, that song came out of a, a true life, a real true story that happened 150 years ago. And 150 years ago, there was a revival that broke out over on the other side of the planet, uh, the, the, the Welsh revival, the revival of well, Wales about 150 years ago. And out of that came a real missionary movement out of Europe to go uh, to, to, to tell people in, the, in, in Asia about Jesus, China, India. And, and so especially the American Baptists sent a lot of people into India to really tell people about Jesus, which was very taboo, very forbidden in those uh, in those uh, regions, and, and many of them were tribal people who you would lose your life if you didn't subscribe to their way of religion, whether it's Hinduism or whatever the case may be. Well, there's a true story about uh, uh, a, a village called Garbo. And there was these missionaries that came in and they were telling people about Jesus and they had no luck and they had no luck, but there was this one man who was so compelled by the story of Jesus, he gave his life to Jesus. And his wife and his two children confessed their faith in front of this entire tribe. And, and the, the, the tribal chief was so angry, they brought them to the, 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 the center of the city. And, and, and they, they, they said, man, you can't profess Jesus. Like, you can't follow him. If you, you need to swear off your faith, you need to renounce him or we're gonna kill you and your family. And true story. So he's standing there, this man, his, actually his name was Noxing, is standing there with his wife and his two children. And he said, if you don't swear off of Jesus, if you don't renounce your faith, we're gonna kill you and your whole family. And his answer was, I have decided to follow Jesus. And on doing that, they pulled back the arrows and they arrowed down his two children in front of his face. The chief expected him to renounce his faith, to which he says, he gets more angry, he says, how much are you willing to let this cost you? Will you please renounce your faith? He says, as his children literally document history, twitching on the ground beside him, he looked around at everybody watching, the whole town's watching, and he says, though no one joins me, still I will follow. 
And the archers pulled back their arrows and arrowed down his wife right beside him. And he said, are you willing to lose your life? The chief is angry. Why do you have such conviction? Why would you do this? Just renounce your faith. And these were his last words. He says, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. And with that down, with, that, with those last words, they arrowed him down, him, his wife, and his two children. And so maybe next time you hear a hymn and you think it's out of date or you think about that song, think about where that came from. That was birthed out of a place of radical faith that cost an entire family their life. I would, I would like to think if you've ever read Hebrews chapter 11, it's kind of the hero hall of fame chapter of the Bible that if it was still going today and we had modern day people in it, that, that Knox thing and his family would probably be mentioned in, in Hebrews 11 if it were still going today. And so I want to just talk about one of the most common things that Jesus said, and he said it privately to his disciples. He said it publicly to the, the masses. He said it to women. He said it to children. He said it to the lame. He said it to the poor. He said it to the rich. He said it to the political. He said it to the religious. It was the same invitation that still is, is, is causing anyone who acknowledges and, and accepts the invitation to absolutely be marked and stand out in the world today. And it's the simple two words. And in fact, I want to show you how often Jesus said this. And so I want to go through a bunch of scripture in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want you to see the invitation, the, what he said, and, and, and if it should apply to us, if we should take notice and why 2000 years ago, are we talking about some Middle Eastern dude? Well, those two words were simply this, follow me. The invitation Jesus gives every human on the planet is beyond believe in me, beyond mention me, but it's follow me. And those who have understood what that has meant are those who've gone before us are the ones who've taken arrows and fat and stood in flames and also helped countries. Because see, when you follow Jesus, you are marked sometimes for the good. Daniel and Joseph were hero in their cultures, heathenistic cultures, yet the apostles lost their lives. So it's not really up to us what we Decide where we go with that, but it's all about these two words, follow Jesus. I want you to see just how often Jesus was so passionate about everybody has a place with me. Everybody has a place in my kingdom. My invitation, there's nobody so far gone. There's nobody too religious, too political, too far gone, too selfish, too rich, too poor, too egotistical. There was a place privately and publicly for all to follow him. Jesus says, come, follow me, Jesus says. And I will make you fishers of men in Matthew 4. Matthew chapter 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. If you've been here every week, that should be familiar. That was week one. Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you at the renewal of all things, when the son of man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on the 12 thrones. So there's a promise of some pretty cool stuff for us later on in eternity if we follow Jesus. Uh, again, in Mark chapter one, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. In Mark chapter 10, he says, Jesus looked at this man and says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Again, in um, Luke chapter five, after this, Jesus went out, saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Tax collectors were terrible, horrible people. And he says, sitting at his tax booth, he says, follow me, Jesus said to him, come, be my disciple. In Luke chapter 18, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. And then come, say with me, follow me. Again, in Luke, uh, John chapter one, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Later on, five verses later, he says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And finally, 
John, or not finally, John 8, Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Come on, somebody. And in John chapter 21, Jesus said, to, uh, to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God, then he said to him, follow me. Jesus was notorious for this invitation. Hey, be my disciple, follow me. You're in the crowd, follow me. You're in the disciples, follow me. You're a, a, a no good tax collector, follow me. You're a fisherman, follow me. You're a woman, follow me. You're a child, follow me. You're a man, follow me. You're successful, follow me. You're not successful, follow me. It's the greatest invitation and it's so important to understand that I think a little bit of what we lost in modern, in modern evangelic, evangelism or evangelical Christianity is it's not just a religious duty and it's not just a belief system. And let me say this, if you're like, man, pastor, that's kind of harsh, I just started believing. You're doing it then, you're following him. Because you can't, you can't follow somebody if you don't believe in them. But I just want to encourage us. It doesn't stop there. Jesus makes this invitation to follow me. And so what he said, what did Jesus mean when he said, follow me? What's the appeal? Why should we? But here's what's so interesting. He doesn't just, the invitation isn't just to follow some man who lived 2,000 years ago. Uh, but when he says, follow me, it's this idea of, I want you to be my apprentice. I hope most of you went back and watched that message I've been promoting, Covered in the Dust, from the Blueprint series, because I really break down what that word follow me means. But it's like, follow me, be close to me, follow my ways, follow my example, follow my teaching, be like me. Jesus chose his followers under the one premise that I believe you actually have what it takes to be like me. Not on your own, but if you say yes to me, I'm going to give you the cheat code, the Holy Spirit. And you're gonna be able to do things that you cannot do on your own, like forgive and be loving and have grace and be a good person because you on your own and me on my own. Listen, I, I say this all the time. Man, you're gonna get me fired up. We're barely just getting started. People are like, Pastor, Pabiba, Pastor, you're so you're good. Listen, there is, I'm not being, I'm not trying to be false humble. There is nothing good about Corey Demel. No, listen, there is nothing good about me. I am selfish, I am lazy. I am egotistical, I am materialistic. At the core of who I am, there is nothing good about me. Anything anybody has ever seen good in me is not Corey, it is a reflection of the Jesus that is in me. That's all it is. It's because when I was too young to really know what I was saying yes to, I said yes to following him. And as I've learned, I'm like, every time I learn more, I'm like, yep, I'm still up in my ante. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, there's no better way. And I have said yes to Jesus. And so anything good coming in out of me is only because of my decision to follow Jesus. Anything bad coming out of me is the essence of who I am without Jesus. And any believer who's following Jesus would tell you that that's true about them as well. So we're jumping right into it, why? Because we're landing the plane. Five weeks we've been talking about this. Why should I follow Jesus? Well, let me make a compelling just a couple minutes. Jesus, following Jesus gives you two things that the world around you offers, in fact, promises, but cannot deliver on. Following Jesus, I think, gives us a couple of things that everybody's looking for, whether we're conscious about it or not. But they can't provide, but Jesus can. And, and, and Jesus summed the first one up in, in Matthew chapter 11 when he's like, hey, here's maybe one idea of why you should follow me. He says this in Matthew chapter 11. This is one of my favorite things Jesus ever said. He says, come to me, or follow me, all you who are weary and who are burdened, and I will stress you out. <laughs> I will give you so much anxiety and depression. I will make your best never good enough. I will make you feel like you're never enough because I will compare you to every other single creation I've ever... Does it say any of those things? No. I read the Bible and I, to me, I always want to know what does it does not say. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. 
Insert the word peace there. Peace. In fact, I love what he says. He goes on in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Yoke is something you put on. It's a weight you carry to, 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 to go through life or whatever you do. He says, for, uh, and learn from me. I am gentle. I'm humble in heart. And you will find, here's that word again, rest for your soul. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you saw a commercial promoting rest for your soul? In our amazing democracy and capitalistic, we have it all world. When was the last time it was, you know, free 99, 30-day money-back guarantee on rest for your soul? You know, they don't have that product. Jesus is offering something that only he can deliver on. It's, it's, it's all cheap, packed, and all of these things. But all the stuff the world offers, at some point, it just never really gives you that rest for your soul, does it? Then in verse 30, he says this. For my yoke. He's like, here's why you want my yoke. It's easy. My burden because you live in a broken world, there will be burdens. You just pick which ones you carry. Mine's, mine's light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He goes, so, hey, come to me. Follow me. I got you. You're going to carry a weight. You're going to experience hardships. You're going to have brokenness. So why not take my weight on you? He offers us rest. You might be tired. You're burned out. You might be anxiety-ridden, depressed, uh, full of anxiety, angry, sad, just oh, frustrated. You know what Jesus would say to you? Come to me. Come to me. I got rest for your soul. Don't go chase one more thing, one more activity, one more uh, tablet, one more app, one more distracting coping mechanism, one more activity. Like, if you got that, come to me. Because you know what he wants to give you in John 10, 10? You know what he says? I came to give you life, an abundant, full, best possible life. He wants you to have purpose. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have joy, even in the midst of hard times, even in the midst of a pandemic. He wants you to have hope. He wants you to have faith. And he says, if you will trust me, if you will follow me, I will give that to you. I will provide that, but you have to come to me. So Jesus offers rest. He offers peace. The second thing Jesus offers is purpose. When you follow Jesus, every moment counts. Because the most important thing he said to do is to love God and love people. Well, don't look now, but you're around people, so there's an opportunity for you to do what you're built for. Well, well, what career should I have? I don't know, but pick one where you can love God and love people. Well, where should I live? I don't know, but wherever you go, love God and love people. Well, what if what school should I go to? I don't know, but wherever you go, love God and love people. Well, what should I go to Publix or should I go to Target? Either way, you need to put away shopping carts and there's depressed people. Like, love God, love people. Like, add value, right? Like, only down here in Florida. In the Midwest, we put them away. Um, it's true. Uh, but, he's, but there's purpose. There's, there's an ad value. And not only is there purpose, there's this identity where you're like, I don't need value from the world to tell me I have to achieve to matter or I have to somehow accomplish or my value is based on my bottom line or, or where I'm at on my totem pole. When you understand the, just the, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God for you and that becomes real to you, the world, what they have to offer, you're like, I don't need it. I'm good. So rather than take from you, I can just add value to you because I have a source that continues to fill me up. He offers you purpose and an identity. Why would I follow Jesus? Well, all the things we're chasing out there, are they offering the peace? Rest for your souls? Are you finding an identity where you're like, yeah, I, I have spent so much time with my creator that I understand he loves me to the point where I actually can love myself. That's those are, I don't know about you. I'm a simple guy. I'm a simple guy. Those are two really compelling reasons for me. And I think most of us have probably tried enough things where you're like, yeah, I've tried some things and it didn't really work out that well for me. Jesus changed everything. 
And again, we've done series and we've talked about who he was and what he did. And so my question is, if Jesus is who he says he is and he did what he said he did, and I feel like we've kind of historically showed that that has happened, then the question is this, is he worth following? Is he worth following? And the better question is, are you following him? Maybe you're like, oh, I'm just starting to try to believe in him. Great, then you're on the path to following him. But it doesn't end there. Well, I go to church every week. That's good. But he's talking about a daily apprenticeship. Be as close to me as you can. Are we really following Jesus? Or have we created something else that makes us feel good about where we're at and hope we make it to heaven in eternity? You don't have to hope. And here's, I'll tell you this. I, I know at this point you're like, sign me up. This sounds like too good to be true. I know it does. It really is. But it will cost you. I want to be upfront about it. It will cost you but so will not following him. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? This again, this is gonna be like, I told you I'm a very simple person. I'm gonna give you two ways, two things it means to follow Jesus. And some of you are gonna be like, yeah, that's good. But if you will really put your life under these two microscopes, maybe just maybe the Holy Spirit would speak to you and, and help you to experience God in the area that you desperately need it most, whether you're aware of it or not. What does it mean to follow Jesus? This is about to sound, I mean, this is really high level stuff, but it means, first of all, Number one, stop following the ways of the world. Groundbreaking, I know. No, you've never heard anything like this. Compelling, PhD level, I know, I get it, I'll try. You have to stop following the ways of the world. I love the way the Apostle Paul, his job was to write to, to Romans, who were a group of people like us, who basically didn't know Jesus, didn't follow Jesus, but they heard about him, like, hey, what does it mean? How do we do this? And in Romans chapter 12, verse two, Paul tells Christians, followers of Jesus, he says it this way, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. We can just start right there. Where am I copying the behaviors of the world? We got a whole bunch of Christians fighting each other and bickering and gossiping and arguing. We look so much like the world. They're like, why would I want to be a Christian? I don't even have to have religion and I still act the same way you do. We're depressed and we're greedy and we're like, oh, come follow Jesus. Why? It's like all these rules plus, like I'll just, you're a bad person, but you're a Christian. I just want to be a bad person which I would act, no guilt, I would actually recommend. If you're gonna be a bad person, like walk away from Jesus. Some of you don't like that I said that, but that actually makes a ton of sense. So that is PhD level stuff. Corey, you didn't come here to say that. All right. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. What does that mean? The way they view success, the way they view value and identity, the way they forgive, how they are greedy and the way that they're materialistic and how they're vengeful. Like he's saying, there's a better way. There's a way that people who don't follow Jesus go about stuff and don't do that. He says, but let God transform you. Okay, now you're talking, Paul, into a new person. All right, I like that because there's some things about me I don't like. By changing the way you think. Oh, a lot more on that in the next two weeks. We're gonna bring Mastermind back next week. Then you will learn to know God's will for you who doesn't want that, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Well, let's go. Like, what else is there? It's like, hey, let's not follow and copy the world. And then instead, let's let God change our mind, which changes our behavior. And now we can experience his good and pleasing, perfect will. Yeah, that's for when we get to heaven. No, it's here. It can be in the middle of war zone, chaos, crazy, division, political, economical. It's like people are like, what's his deal? Like, oh, he's a Jesus follower. They weird. But in a good way. Some of y'all are just weird to be weird, but whatever. We're not talking about that. What's he talking about? The addictions of this world. It's the opposite of rest for your souls. It's the go, grind, push, strive. One more thing, one more time, one more. Ah, oh, we got to go and then make it happen. And, and then you can't handle it anymore. And what happens? We have all this stuff going on like, oh, and I can't handle it. So then we come up with really creative coping mechanisms or not so creative coping mechanisms, whether it be an affair, whether it be substance abuse or, or whether it just be um, 
a tablet, our phone or whatever. It's like, how can I just distract myself from the reality I'm trying not to feel the stress, anxiety and all the stuff and going, did you know, this is crazy. Did you know that currently right now, the average human uh, spends nine hours a day on their phone? 63 hours a week and 2,617 times a day we touch our phones. It's our coping mechanism from distracting ourselves from the true reality that Joseph preached last week of what's really going on on the inside. That's just one distraction. That's a lot healthier than pornography, if you ask me. Although for some of you, that's what that is. It's a lot healthier than an affair. It's a lot healthier than a gambling addiction or a drug addiction, or alcohol addiction. My point is the world is offering you these coping mechanisms, but really we're just putting a bandage on a hemorrhage and God's like, I can actually heal the root of the problem. If you let me in, I can help you. Don't follow, don't copy that. So how do we follow Jesus? Number one, we stop copying the ways of the world. And, and I think you would do well this week to spend some time contemplating, praying, evaluating, where do I copy the behaviors and customs of this world? Maybe in my leadership, maybe in the way I run my business, maybe in the way I treat my spouse or my husband. What, what's the alternative? Well, well, that's number two. You must start or continue to follow Jesus. Again, groundbreaking stuff. Stop following the world's ways and start or keep following Jesus's ways. Listen, it sounds so like, oh yeah, we've heard this before. Awesome. Like I tell my 10-year-old daughter all the time, I don't care if you think you know, just do it. I know, no, if you knew, you would do it. Man, my mom said that to us a million times. I know I'm supposed to clean my room. Is your room clean? Nope, but I know I should. (laughs) How do I follow Jesus? Again, so simple. Two things, Jesus's teachings and Jesus's example. What I love about Jesus, he was a real person who really lived and he never asks us to do anything he didn't do himself, and he doesn't give us his Holy Spirit to empower us to do either. There's, no, there's nothing like it. There's no world philosophy or religion like it. His teachings, his example, well, how do we do that? I'm just gonna tell you right now, this is it. I told you at the beginning of this, anything good that comes out of me is because Jesus is in my life. This book has made me who I am. This book is why I am, it's why I think the way I think, it's why I believe the way I believe. It's, how I, it's why I forgive the way I forgive. It's why I'm generous. Anything good that comes out of me is because of this book. And, and here's, I'm just gonna be a pastor for my country for a minute. Here's what concerns me about the American church is we love to come to church and we love to have the groups, but we don't know this. We don't consume it. We don't eat it. We don't know it. We don't memorize it. We don't read it. I grew up in a time where we just memorized scripture. My parents stuffed us with scripture. My Christian school stuffed me with scripture. And I didn't always like it. I didn't always enjoy it. But man, it, it's still in there now. This, guys, I hear so many people, I don't know how to hear God speak to me. This is the number one way he speaks to you. So open your word. Oh, I don't really know God. Have you read the Bible? How can I follow Jesus' teachings? Guess where his teachings are? Right here. Guess where his example is? Listen, oh, pastor, there's so many books and there's so much history. Where do I start? Easy. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just spend the rest of the next decade just doing those four books over and over. and And then when God's done talking to you about that, then graduate to something else. The words of Jesus, the example of Jesus. And then every time you see something that sparks a question, go look up what does it really mean? Why is it a big deal that he talked to a woman at a well? Oh, there's a really compelling answer to that. It's all in here. This is why so many of us are stagnant in our faith and we're frustrated and we get, oh, I don't even want to go to church. I don't see any growth. Nobody cares. Listen, it's all right here. I I am a, a wretched man, but I am a product of this book. And anything that good has come out of me is because of this book and the Jesus in it. And I compel you. I love you so much. Some of you just start reading it this week. 
Open it up, five minutes. Grab a U version, U reading plan. Email our office. We'll send you resources. We, this, my belief in Jesus started with yes, but it was when I started to consume this is when transformation happened. And some of you, you've had the antidote, the whole, pastor, I don't have a Bible. If you have an iPhone, you have every Bible. Even if you have a stinky Android, you have every Bible. Why? Watch what Jesus says here. Watch what Jesus says. I'm going to take you back to Matthew 11. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke. You know where, oh, by the way, you know where I got that? From this book, Words of Jesus, Teaching of Jesus. I want to go back to something I, I kind of referenced earlier. He says, my yoke is easy. See, here's the thing. The world is going to offer you different weights. You can, you can carry the, 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 the yoke of the political system. You can carry the yoke of religion, a bunch of rules that help you try to get to God but are never enough. You can carry the yoke of the world or you can carry the yoke of Jesus. I'll say it again. You will carry a weight. There's no like, oh, I just want to get this weight off you. No, but you have to decide, am I going to carry the yoke, the weight of the world? Am I going to carry the weight of the political system, which some of you would do well to maybe let a little bit of that off and a little more of Jesus' yoke on? The economic system, the religion. Oh, but we got to do this. We got to do all these things. We got to do all these things. We got to as long as that's just the active part of your relationship with Jesus, that's fine. But if you think that somehow puts you in better standing with God and he loves you more, like you've missed it. And Jesus is saying, you can pick the world's yoke. You can pick religion's yoke. You can pick society's yoke. But he goes, but mine, it's easy. My burden is light. And by the way, the world, with their unwritten rules that change all the time, they aren't actually giving you some like Holy Spirit to help you be good at it. Religion and society doesn't give you anything else. But Jesus is like, anyone who confesses my name, the same spirit that raised me from the dead, I'll put inside of you. Yes. Sign me up. Like every time I like learn more stuff, I'm like, this is just better, not easier, but better. His teachings, his ways, his way, his life. And by the way, Jesus said this in a very politically charged, hyper-religious time. So if you think, well, that was very different than the day, it might've been worse, right? Pastor Dennis might've been worse. Let's talk about Rome. Let's talk about the Pharisees. It probably was worse. Weight is inevitable. So you choose which one you're going to carry. Only one brings rest for your soul. But it will require you to die to religion and die to the world. It will. You're gonna have to say, no, I don't, I don't do it that way. I don't play that game. It will cost you. But if you do, there will be a marked difference. A marked difference. The world, here's the thing. If you decide to follow Jesus, the world can't not take notice. And sometimes they take notice and you're a hero. And sometimes they take notice and you're the, the villain or the goat. But either way, the world will take notice. There was a girl who lived in Denver, Colorado that they took notice. Her name was Rachel and she grew up in a pastor's home, but her, her parents got divorced when she was eight. Um, but her father remarried when he she was 14. And she went to a youth camp early on in high school and really that was when she said, I decided to follow Jesus. I gave my whole life. And she started to eat the word and be involved in her, in her youth group and, and was really just known as somebody who um, really loved her, 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 her school. And she would try to tell people about Jesus. And she just, love of God, like transformed her. And, and she was celebrated, known. There was a lot of people like, man, there's something about her. But she was also known by a couple of other dudes who weren't very good either. That kind of irritated them that she was so Jesus, lovey, what, what happened to you? And their names were Eric and Dylan. And on April 20th, 1999, Eric and Dylan wore their trench coats and brought their guns into Columbine High School and they found Rachel. And they said, do you believe in Jesus? And she said, yes. And they pulled the trigger and shot her dead. And they mowed down 12 other people that day. But she's the only one on record 
that was asked, do you believe, do you follow Jesus? See, she was marked, but it wasn't for maybe the best reason. It wasn't, it wasn't, she wasn't a hero like Daniel was who saved a country. Her faith cost her her life like next song who we heard about earlier. Some of you go, man, well, that's, that's Rachel. She grew up as a pastor's kid. That's really great. Well, you know what? It's not just for pastor's kids. It's for the worst of the worst. Because there's another story of a man named Dave. If you know Dave, Dave was a, a huge story in the New York Times in the 1970s, the son of Sam. It, in fact, it started the satanic paranoia. Sam had a rough life, lost his mom. His dad blamed him. He got into drugs. He got into alcohol. He got into the, the satanic cult, would go read the satanic Bible. In fact, he gave himself the name son of Sam because Sam was a, a version of a demon that he asked to possess him. And so he went on a, a killing spree as a serial killer in New York City and in less than a year's time, randomly murdered six people, wounded seven others. In fact, it's documented. And, and if you're old enough, you remember son of Sam, some of you. Worst of the worst. They didn't have the death penalty then, but he got 365 years in prison for just brutally murdering. I mean, just terrible, dark. But 10 years into prison, he went in at 23. When he was 33, a guy named Ricky got transferred to Sam's prison. And the same Jesus that Rachel sold her life out for came and found Dave in prison. I want you to hear him tell his story. 10 years into my prison sentences, I'm, I'm struggling you know, to survive day by day. Along comes this fellow, uh, Ricky, Ricky, and a uh, younger man, and he approaches me one day while I'm walking in the prison yard. And he says, you know, hey, um, your name's Dave, right? And I said, yeah. He says, well, my name's Ricky, and I'd like to introduce myself. And he said, uh, listen, I, I, know, I know about your case and everything, but I, 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 I I would like to just tell you that Jesus Christ loves you and he's got a plan and purpose for your life. And I said, yeah, I was like skeptical. I said, yeah, okay, I've heard that before, but there's no way God could love me. I've done too many things that are bad, too many things that are evil. There's no way God could forgive me. He says, no, David, you're wrong. God wants to forgive you. And he, he sent me here to tell you that. And he's got a plan and purpose for your life. Uh, and I'm thinking like, oh, really? And uh, he said, yeah. He said, well, listen, I see you sometimes work out with the weights and sometimes you walk around. I'd like to just be your friend and maybe we can hang out together. You know, I'm new here. So uh, he seemed like a nice guy. And before he knew, we were hanging out together and we'd walk the yard together. And he began to tell me as the days went by that he was a Christian, that he gave his life to Jesus while he was locked up in, in another facility. And uh, he would share a little of the scriptures with me, a little about, about his life. And we just, you know, palled around, walked around. And, um, and then he gave me a pocket Bible. It was a Gideon pocket testament, which, which, which had the uh, Psalms in the back. So you had the New Testament and the Psalms. And he says, look, I know you're Jewish, and I think you'd like to read the Psalms. And I, so uh, I started to read them, and I started to read about King David, because I like to read. And I started to read about King David, and I saw all the struggles King David went on with his life, the pain, crying out to God. And I kind of started to relate to that. Because uh, I'm going through so much pain and trauma and uh, reading the Psalms sometimes at night before I go to sleep and I find I start to cry, uh, you know, and, my, and I don't know why. But then one day after I'd known Ricky maybe a month, maybe a little longer, because uh, this was a long time ago now, this was over 25 years ago now, um, I was reading Psalm 34 and I read the scripture, verse 6, where it says this poor man cried and heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And suddenly, once again, it was around midnight, I was alone in my cell with my little reading lamp on, and I read that psalm and I started to cry. 
and I, I, I just shut off my light because I didn't want any of the other inmates in the gallery to see me crying. And I was getting all in individual cells. And I had this tremendous, they got this tremendous urge to get down on my knees and to talk to God. And so I did in the darkness of my cell, I got down on my knees on the concrete floor, the cold concrete floor. And I, like a little kid, I, I put my hands on the, on the bunk at the, the typical prison bunk bed. And I just began to pour my heart out to the Lord. And I was crying like a baby. But I was talking quietly because I didn't want anyone else to hear me, but I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. And I was telling, I saying, God, Jesus, whoever you are, I'm so sorry for everything that happened. I, I hurt so many people. I hurt my family and I, I brought so much pain to people and on and on. I just poured my heart out to him, you know, crying as if I was crying for my mother when she died. And uh, maybe I was on my knees 20 minutes, a half hour. I don't know. And then I got up off my knees and I felt like a tremendous load had lifted off me. And in, I just got on my bunk, on top of my bunk, and staring at the ceiling for a while, and I drifted off to sleep. So whether you grew up in a pastor's home and were martyred for your faith in modern day, or whether you were a serial killer, sworn to Satan, Jesus will seek you and find you. And you're never too far gone. There's nothing you could do to make him love you less or stop chasing you. The last 25 years, David has been doing prison ministry, leading prisoners to Christ as he gave his heart to Christ. Rachel Stott's story is still told around the country in schools in her faith in Jesus Christ. I told you a story at the beginning of this. I didn't tell you the end. I told you about next song. And so there's these two boys dead and then his wife dead and, and he's dead. But I forgot to tell you what happened at the end. The chief was so enraged. He's like, how could they do this for their faith? And he stopped for a minute. Why would they give their lives for some random foreign man who lived 2,000 years ago? And in that moment in front of his entire community, the chief said, there must be something to this. And he turned to the crowd. He says, I confess my faith in Jesus Christ. And as he did that, the entire village says, we too confess our faith in Jesus Christ. And because they gave their lives, an entire Indian village came to know Jesus and revival started to break out in India. Because one man said, I have decided not just to go to church, which is good, not just to believe in Jesus, which is where it starts, but to follow Jesus. Let him call the shots. Not make a little bit of room for him over here on the side when I'm not doing well or I'm bored, but like to make him my everything. No turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. The coolest part about this message is what I didn't know is I asked for a song and Desi told me our worship team wrote an original song over a year ago about this very thing. And so they're going to come play it. And as they do, I'm going to invite you to sing it. And we're going to tag, I have decided at the very end. And it's just an invitation for it to be a response. For some of you, it could be a prayer. For the first time, you're saying, I am deciding to follow Jesus. The invitation is there. And it doesn't matter if you're Rachel Scott, Dave Berkowitz, or somewhere in between. Oh, by the way, Dave has written a book about his life. And you know what it's called? Son of Hope because he now knows who he belongs to and where he belongs. That's what Jesus does when you make room in your life to follow him. Some of you, this is the invitation you've been waiting for. Others of you, you've, you've maybe said yes to Jesus before. What a great opportunity to re-up your commitment, to renew your vows. And so I'm gonna invite you, if you're physically able, even if you're online, to stand to your feet. And this is a really simple song, and so let's sing it with them. We're gonna close at the end of this song, 
but I just want you to respond. What do you need to do with this message? I will ask you this. If you're deciding to follow Jesus for the very first time, it is our privilege to introduce him to you. We would love it if you would text the word KPS to 94,000 just so we can connect with you, walk with you, and help give you some tools to walk this thing out. But now I just want you to have a couple minutes to respond in your heart the way you need to and ask yourself the question, whether it's again or for the first time, will you decide to follow Jesus?
but we know you never leave us. You're always with us. So where you go, we'll follow. Every step of the way, Jesus, whether people are coming with us or not, it doesn't matter. We're keeping our eyes on you and we're following you. And it's not about doing things perfectly. It's not about getting every little thing right. No, it's about following you to the best of our ability. If we fall, if we stumble, we get right back up and we keep going. We learn from it, we grow, we keep our eyes focused on you and we keep following you. Thank you, Jesus. We receive that today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.